Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Still nothing, huh? No, nothing. <laughs> it, it, in my my vast preparation for the show, for for the open, you know, in, in the thirty seconds prior that we sit down for to record it, nothing has flashed. Well, I mean, quite frankly, you're probably still exhausted from the nirvana of uh, motorsport weekend last weekend. You know, we- you're still coming down. You're in the after effects. Again, we we didn't watch all the racing that happened. Well, we don't watch anything from that other series where they have stickers on their cars for headlights. Well, it, it, it was – I had to look it up. It was the Coke 600. And the only reason why I had to look it up is because one of the articles I read happened to have highlighted – you know, the driver at the end of the NASCAR races, they tend to do these big burnouts and stuff like that. Um but apparently the, the burnout donut, victory donut that was done at the end of the race was one of the saddest ever. Oh, it was like a Krispy Kreme donut? Krispy Kreme donuts aren't sad. <laughs> wow. That was kind of cruel. I thought you used to like Krispy Kreme donuts. Yeah, but they've gone so downhill. <clears throat> Maybe it's because you can't get them fresh anymore. I don't like that. They don't make them in their stores like they used to. They haven't done that for a very, very, very long time. That's the problem. You just happen to have lived near a store that did. you got to go to select stores. But anyway, away from this, because we weren't really talking about Krispy Kremes to begin with. (laughs) Coke, maybe. That would have made sense. But anyway. You talked donuts. I'm hungry. So his victory celebration donut was kind of this quarter turn not really all that smoky because it should be kind of smoky. Not really all that smoky because he didn't have any fuel to do anything else. <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. So there was that. But 8,500. Back to that. Because we're not done talking about that. Oh, you know, there, there was a couple of last things to wrap up. You know, besides the – a lot of – comments over on the f1 side you know their reaction to the winner of of this year's indy 500 was really takuma sato that guy (laughs) no (laughs) seriously (laughs) he had a bit of a checkered history in formula one so it was (laughs) well he's a decent driver in indy um so let's not be too surprised but Um. You know the tr- the tradition for the winner with the Indy 500 is they get the big they get the glass bottle of milk and they get to drink some of it and they take a bit of the shower with the milk and all that other stuff. Duh. Fernando got his milk anyway. Okay. It, it was the little pint carton of milk that he found as he was walking into one of the press conferences, but he got his milk. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 bigger story though, as much as there's quite a few pictures of Fernando sitting in the press conference holding up his little pint carton of milk with a big old grin on his face, is he was asked about um, whether or not he missed Monaco. And this is this is his response to this has caused a whole lot of folks to resurrect the um, the Twitter hashtag places Alonzo would rather be. Oh no! Well, you know it, that came from Brazil where he was playing with the camera and doing all the other stuff. But what he said was, when it came to Monaco, I won two times there. I won two World Championships. To drive around Monaco for a seventh place, a sixth place, even a fifth place. To be here, it's not possible to compare. I didn't miss Monaco. 
which I don't think, you know, when you look at the result that McLaren ended up with, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Well, no. he. I mean, he got a lot more press. He got a lot more, like... Um, attention. Attention um, by being at IndyCar. And we know something for, fundamental about Fernando. He loves the spotlight. Yeah. So he does say he wants to come back. Um, that's all he's saying on his future right now. So we'll see where that comes out. But I uh, want to point out, he... he uh, does not miss the opportunity to race in Monaco and was much happier in Indianapolis. Well, you know, it would be a first. It would get a lot of uh, attention if Fernando joined the IndyCar circuit and left F1 to do it. Well, to further possibly propel Fernando into IndyCar, um, he won the Indy 500 Rookie of the Year Award. Ah. Now, just... So, so you, you don't think it, it – well, to put this whole thing in perspective. It doesn't what mean this much. Is. Well, the award was decided by a media vote, which is to be based on evenly on four criteria. The driver's skill, okay. Sportsmanship, okay. Accessibility and conduct during the month. Okay. And finishing position. But he didn't finish the race. But he was very accessible throughout the month. <laughs> The media loved him because he conducted himself well throughout the whole thing. Sportsmanship, well, yeah, he didn't run anybody off the track, so there you go. Oh. Okay. Now, in the grand scheme of things, Rookie of the Year for the Indy 500 race, <coughs> not going to win you crowns or prizes. I mean, because there is a Rookie of the Year, there's a Rookie Award in the Indy well, car series. And he's know, not going to qualify for that because he only ran one race. Well, th that's that's becomes my question. If he decides that, you know what, th th this whole <coughs> Formula One thing, I'm done with it. I'm not going to get a winning car at this point. Title number three is not going to happen. I had a really good time doing the Indy 500. I could conceivably jump over into IndyCar and be in a competitive car, although knowing his career choices, who the heck knows, but he could be in a correct, a competitive car and still, if he wanted to, run Le Mans. Because I don't believe that IndyCar conflicts with Le Mans. Right. So he could conceivably make that jump. Given that he's already won or, or run a race through the Indy 500, if he did a full season with an IndyCar, would he be considered a rookie then? See, I don't year. know what the rules are for being a rookie. Is it so many races? Yeah. Um, because most of the rookies that we have followed, uh, Max and Alex, um, they ran the whole year their first year. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what it means when you don't run. If you don't run the full year, do you lose the rookie tag? Do you lose that ability? But all of, all of that. Well, speaking of It Max, would still be unprecedented for a world champion to leave Formula One and continue on in a different series. In a different four-wheel series, because Michael Schumacher went to motorcycles at one point. And, right. <clears throat> but he didn't do very well. And it was Kim, like, actually, and, and we can't even really say that because Kimmy went to NASCAR, or NASCAR truck. He didn't even go to NASCAR. He went to NASCAR truck. True. True. That's it's true. It's unusual. I will go with unusual, yes. Especially a multi-champion. 
right. do such a thing. True. So speaking of Max and his vast years Year. of Formula One exper- racing experience, Year. at the tip of the spear, the back tip, <laughs> but the tip of the spear, <laughs> he has decided to... Um, Provide a recommendation as to how Formula One could be better. Oh, pray tell. He thinks that Formula One drivers could benefit from the use of IndyCar style spotters. Okay. That would not piss off all the fans who think that the drivers should be, you know, supreme and you know, know everything. You know, he, and, and he makes this with. The reminder that really IndyCar apparently only uses the spotters on ovals. They don't use them anywhere else. Oh, okay. Um, but he That's says... That's not exactly true because we heard spotters <clears throat> on the radio at Mid-Ohio. Yeah, I don't know. I think typically they're only... They may not be used quite as much elsewhere. But yeah, I think uh, two or three places in Mid-Ohio there are, sponsor, there are spotters calling stuff out. I think there's I think there, he may be talking about two different things because in the in ovals those spotters they're in two locations everybody's got them in two locations and they're really giving directions as to um, when to drop up and down across the you know when they can um, drop up and down that oval there's there's a lot more intensity around the passing piece of the spotters well, yeah but like at mid Ohio I heard spotters on the radio and they were a lot. It was a lot less of the, you know, down, 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 now, now, now things going on on the radio that you hear when we saw the 500. It was much more of the, you're clear, you're clear, um, you know, just that you got the room to maneuver stuff. Well, what he had to say was, now I've experienced the spotter. I think it's really helpful. In certain F1 races, it would be helpful for drivers to have a spotter. I know it's not traditional in F1, and it might not happen, but it would probably reduce some of the accidents. So he goes on to, to give an example. He says, at Monaco, for example, coming into turn one, you don't have time to look in your mirrors. If you got someone viewing over you and telling you you're clear behind, it takes the pressure off looking behind, and you concentrate on in front, so it's a safety tool as well. Yeah, but I don't. I still don't think that spotters are happening in F one. I don't think spotters will happen in F one unless somebody who um. And 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 I hesitate to use the phrase. I actually let me put it this way: until somebody who F one will listen to mm-hmm. makes the recommendation, because I'm sorry, Max. One year at Marussia. They're not going to make a change based on your recommendation. Now, if Fernando comes back and says, you know, hey, I did the whole spotter thing, and that was really cool, they'd probably listen to that. Yeah, they might. They might. I don't know how much they're listening to Fernando these days for F1, though. I mean, to be honest. He's still Fernando. He's still Fernando. That doesn't mean he's not talking. It's just, is anybody listening? They're probably they're lis- more likely to listen to him than Max. Yeah. But I think that I think that this is key. Fernando is also going to come back to F one as the guy who left the series because he got his panties in a wad. Yeah. So let's let's not let's understand that we're going to discount things that Fernando says beyond the fact that I discount things that he says because I think he's whiny. But that's just me. Okay. 
Well, here we are. We're now, what, six races in, into the season? Mm-hmm. We've got 15 left or 14 left? 14 left. Okay. Because I think we're 20 races. We're not 21 this year off the top of my head. Or something like that. So we've got 14 races left. Mm-hmm. And Nikki Lauda has declared it's over. Oh, wow. Season's done. Ferrari's winning it. Vettel's got the championship. We're over. Nikki has said that uh, now that uh, Sebastian has opened up a 25-point lead over Lewis, the only way that there is going to be a um, a a Mercedes win for either title is if Vettel has a retirement. That's it. We're done. Everybody can go home. Thanks for playing. Wasn't Lewis 42 points down last year? And I know he didn't win the title, but let's just remember for a minute, at one point he was 42 points down, and it came down to one of the last races. Interestingly enough, every all the talk was Lewis's season wasn't essentially over and unrecoverable until the engine blew up in Malaysia which was, what, four races before the end of the season? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nikki says we're done. That's it. Well, if, if, if Mr. Lauda has said that we are done, then we should stop watching Formula One because it's over. Now, on, on one hand... Maybe we could save a lot of... Maybe this is a budgetary savings method. We could just call the season now and stop running the races. Yeah. On one hand, I, I take it take it to mean that um, Nikki believes that the the Ferrari team is actually functioning as they should be again. Mm-hmm. Because what we have seen is that even when Ferrari starts off promising the last couple of years, the wheels tend to fall off oh around now. Right now, that has not fall- happened. They have not fallen off yet. Th- yeah, that that has not happened. At least one of the drivers is in a fairly good mood. As a, as opposed to last or under the Fernando Alonso pairing, or just in previous years, by now we started hearing some frustration come out mm-hmm. from whoever Ferrari considered to be their lead driver. Right. So okay, that and maybe Nicky with his insight into the Mercedes development program, that Mercedes has looked around and said, "Yeah, that's about the best we're getting out of this." We cannot develop more. We cannot get a sizable enough gain built into the car as designed this year. We can continue to keep pace. We can continue to hold on. But they can't eke enough out. They haven't figured out what that trick piece is that's going to push them ahead again. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not calling the season done until it's done. I agree with that. There, there's also the other thing, and, and it is really kind of unique in Formula One. It was something that um, the BBC folks pointed out a couple of weeks ago, and they may have done it going into the season. You know, you, you go to uh, preseason for any just about any Major League Baseball team or any big league sport, 
and the attitude is almost always the same. We're going to win it all this year. This is this is our year, man. And then, you know, game two rolls around, and they, they're getting destroyed. And they might reassess that attitude. It's 104 years for the Cubs. Yeah. Well, You've just described the 104 years of the Cubs. But, but every year going in, and it really doesn't matter the team, and it doesn't matter the sport. Going in, it's, this is our this year. This is our it's year. Just, even the Browns, no matter how bad it is, this is our year, and then game one happens, and, yeah, we're having another one of those things again. It's a rebuilding but, year. Yeah. No, no, it's a rebuilding decade. Get it right. <laughs> Excuse me. Rebuilding century yeah. is, is probably more accurate. But anyway, um, Formula One's very different. You go to the average Formula One team preseason or just before any race whatsoever, and they're all going pretty much the same thing. Well, you know, we might have a decent chance, but these guys are looking really good, and you never want to count them out. So I don't know. We're kind of hopeful, but who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. So maybe that's some of what this is, is that general Formula One attitude of we don't want to say, woohoo, we're going to do it this year. It's the, eh, maybe, I don't know, but, you know, you can't discount anybody else because who knows what can happen. And, yeah, the hedging that, that the Formula One teams tend to do. Well, I think that's a reasonable call out. I mean, the the reality is that bravado in Formula One can often get uh, karma to smack smack you in the bottom. So I think that that's a very important thing to keep, you know, it levels them, keeps their heads about them. And the other possibility could be our next story, the fact that Mercedes really isn't sure what the heck is going on with Lewis and Lewis's car after this weekend. Interesting. Um, well, nobody knows what's going on with Lewis. Let's just be honest with that. Yeah. But Toto has has described this year's car as, quote, a bit of a diva in terms of setup and what it takes to get it. Because the, the big challenge, according to what Mercedes has said, has been once again, and we've heard this before, they've struggled to get temperature into the tires. Mm-hmm. And as a result, performance has suffered. What Mercedes went on to say, though, and and this is why they're really puzzled, is free practice one, Mercedes and Lewis in particular blew everybody away. After free practice one, however, things went downhill. And Mercedes says, and, and they didn't touch the car, according to what they say, especially during the race. They didn't make any changes to the car the beginning of the race. Lewis struggled. He comes in for his pit. They do nothing other than change out his tires, and now he's got some performance again. And they don't know why. That's the problem. And they're seeing these performance swings in other periods as well, at least with Lewis. I haven't heard that they're having the same issues with Valtteri. Hmm. But at least with Lewis, they're seeing that changes are happening in the car that maybe they're not telling it to do. I don't know whether that means that you know, heat soak and whatever is affecting components, just that little bit of enough that hmm. it's impacting performance. That's troubling on a lot of levels. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the line, it comes to they can't get pressure in, or, or they can't get the heat into the tires. And that's something that Lewis struggled with in Russia mm-hmm. with its very long, very fast straights which allow tires to cool off at that speed. Um, Here they just weren't able to drive fast enough to get the heat in Monaco because that's Monaco. But 
we head off to Montreal this week, which is the exact same kind of track. Very long, very fast straights with a couple of sharp corners that if they're struggling to get heat into the tire in um, Russia, the expectations are going to have the same struggles in Montreal. And then we go to Azerbaijan, which is the same thing. Right. Very low abrasive tracks. So, yeah, we could be up for a couple more weeks of pain with Mercedes. Maybe they need to, you know, he's he's saving weight by not having a drinks container now. Maybe he needs to put little <laughs> bitty heaters in his tire and, you know, like in the tire wells. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's allowed, much like goosing tire pressures as things go along. I, but I mean... It's, it's something to think about. Is it expressly not allowed in the rules? Let's go read the rules and see if they, maybe they could put like those little infrared heaters on top of the tire so every time it goes around, they get a little bit warmer. Well, you got to be careful because you don't want to overheat the tires. Right. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens over the next coming weeks. But this, this could be um year number two of disappointments for lewis because as much as lewis wants to turn around and say in his little dreamland world of i like the challenge and i like to have to come from behind and all that other lightning mcqueen crap (laughs) um once lewis has realized well once lewis realizes that uh he doesn't have a chance yet again in a season where he should have been right up there and this should have been a very close battle what Lewis's attitude is going to look like and when the tantrums are going to start. Well, We've seen it happen before. Yeah, and you're already predicting Moody Lewis, so we'll we'll see. Yeah. We'll keep an eye on Lewis's uh, mood. <coughs> Maybe he traded his physio in for a psychologist. Maybe he needed to have done that instead of just cutting his physio free because he likes the challenge. Moving Lewis on. Lewis Lightning McQueen. That's what we're going to call him. But Lightning won. Yeah, when he ditched all the crap. <laughs> he needs an old Hudson is what you're telling yes. me? <laughs> yes. Okay. To go be his race engineer? His race psychologist. You that If not an old Hudson, he might need Paul Newman. <laughs> that might be all it is. It's just Paul Newman. Straighten him out. Alrighty. So our other punching bag of the season, Lance Stroll. Why are you so down on the Stroll man? Well, Claire Williams says we need to give him a break. If your girlfriend Claire says that we need to give him a break, can we finally give him a break? What Claire had to say. He's Even new. though he has only finished two out of the six races this year, I thought he finished only one. No, but... he's made it through two. Made it through two races. Um, what Claire says, she says, I do think people should give him a break. Some of the stuff I have seen has been pretty unpleasant, and I don't think it is fair or warranted. He's a young kid; people forget that. They, they forget how difficult the transition is between F three and F one. And no one is going to come into this sport and straight away blow everyone away. That's just unrealistic. We always said from the outset that he needed some time to familiarize himself. All the circuits so far this year he hasn't driven on, and he has equipped himself well. 
when he hasn't finished invariably, it hasn't been his fault. So I think the criticism that has been leveled at him is grossly unfair. Um, yes and no. Yes, the transition between F3 and F1 is pretty significant. And along the same lines, I think Williams is doing their job at this point, and they have to turn around and support their young driver. Even when it comes to Pastor Maldonado, when Pastor was doing bad and saying that the team was sabotaging him, they did the right thing and they backed Pastor until they fired him. So in this in this scenario, I think Claire is doing what the team has to do, but that doesn't mean that Lance is worthy of is not worthy of criticism for his performance. I'm sorry. I, I, I give Williams a lot of credit for their history and their desire to give young drivers a chance to, to get into the sport. I think that's great, and I think it's wonderful. I think Lance is proving that he was the wrong young driver to bring up. I don't think he's ready. I don't think Lance was a max. I know for a fact Lance was not a max. And and that's that's the issue because Max also came up super fast. He came up super young. But there was more performance being shown there and Max was brought up through a development program. Mm -hmm. That's why he went to Toro Rosso. If Lance came on and he was brought into a manor, assuming manor was still around, or a Haas, or um, a Toro Rosso, that would make perfect sense to me. But Williams is trying to fight for, for third or fourth. To turn around and bring in such a young, untested driver, I, I don't think that that was wise. And, yeah, it was a gamble, and... and Lance is showing that it was the wrong gamble. I think it would have made better sense to bring him into a more junior team. I agree with you. I think he is worthy and driving at a junior team level. I definitely believe that. I believe that on the curve of learning the car versus Formula One, he's behind it. And so he's in a car. You know how we talk about Fernando outpaces his car, yeah. overdrives his car? He's underdriving his Williams is where Stroll, Stroll is sitting. And I, I see that and I get it. Um, but I'm also with Claire. I think that we've got to give him a chance to, without the pressure, without this desire to say, well, we're constantly looking for how bad you are we got to give him that chance to step up. And Williams has the ability to figure out what they're going to do with him. It's their team. They can choose. Plus, they have Massa carrying the team right now. That, and we have the return of Massa. But, but that's the other thing. Because Felipe, as much as he would want to stick around until, oh, you know, he dies in the car at this point... I think Felipe should only be there till the end of this year, and they need to find themselves another experienced driver. Maybe, you know, maybe the option is, and, and I know he's locked into a longer-term contract, but maybe the option is is that Williams looks around for their next driver, 
to Carlos Sainz. He's a good driver. Mm-hmm. He's a strong driver who, despite what Red Bull wants to do, there's no seat for him at Red Bull. Right. And there's not going to be a seat for him at Red Bull. And at some point, he's going to turn around and he's going to get frustrated and he's going to want to walk. And he's been at Toro Rosso. He's hitting that three-year mark, which is about the limit that Toro Rosso hangs on the drivers before they either cut them loose or promote them. So something has got to give for Carlos. I, I totally agree. And Carlos would be a fantastic choice for Williams. It really I, I would I think be. Carlos would be a good replacement for Massa. But, and then you're still thinking that they need to replace Stroll. They need somebody else. L- look at whoever wins the Formula 2 championship. Look at IndyCar. Look at some of these other. I, I think for Williams and where they want to go, looking for a young driver, going to F3 is the wrong series. I think it's too junior for them. Okay. I'm okay let's, with them bringing up a junior driver, but I think they're going too deep into the well. Let's see what Claire does. Yeah. So this next story, when, when I saw the first, it, it's actually, there's, there's two different articles that came out. When I saw the first article, I kind of read it as one of these disposable, we've got nothing to report on this week, whatever, move on with your life. Okay. And then there was an article that came back to follow up on it with VJ Malia being upset. So what happened was Gene Haas turned around and he said that um, he didn't think that F1 should adopt a socialistic type structure when it came to team payments. Um, What he actually said, reality, was he was fully in support of what we have turned around and said that Formula One should look to do with its payments. Yes, every team gets money. However, the the better you do, the more money you get. But pay still, for performance. It, yeah, pay for performance. But there's none of this, you know, if if you're the 11th place team, you don't get a dime. Well, there's no uh, uh, no money for the 11th place team. There's also no extra money because you have the name of Ferrari or, you know, there's no um, historic status that would give yeah. you more money well what what gene basically said was the teams that do well should get more money mm-hmm. now he didn't go on to say anything about the the junior teams what he said was he believed very strongly that, it, that they shouldn't go to a scenario where every team gets the same amount and there, there's no difference for performance what he said was Every team, or or the teams that do better should get more money. And then when Haas came into the sport, they knew and understood what the financial situation was going to look like. And that was part of their calculations when they made the the decision to come in. Okay. And he said that teams, and and it's a, a valid comment, that this is a structure that Formula One has. If you don't like it, don't launch a team and come into the sport if yeah. you don't think you can be successful under it. They knew what it looked like, and they did it that way. Well, VJ Malia came out, and he kind of lost his crap. <laughs> okay, what did the financial stylings of VJ Malia have to say? Well, VJ said, 
I find it actually disappointing that such a new entrant in Formula One, who has no previous experience of owning an F1 team, makes such a profound statement. Anybody looking at the income distribution of pattern of F1 will immediately, without even being prompted, realize how lopsided it all is. Clearly, the DNA of F1 must include independent teams, not just manufacturer teams. And independent teams need to be able to be financially viable and able to compete. So I was particularly happy when Liberty Media and Chase Carey effectively said what Force India has been pleading for a while now that the income distribution needs to be revisited and adjusted to be fair to the smaller teams as well. For Haas to make such a profound statement, I obviously found that to be disappointing. Interesting. He, he then went on to say, it's pretty obvious from the Haas car that they are more than just associated with Ferrari. Oh, he's accusing them of being the Ferrari junior team. And... and parroting the Ferrari line because Ferrari doesn't want to change the payment structure. They'd be foolish to want to change the payment structure. But Gene Haas came out and said that it's pay for performance. That would be a change to the payment structure. Yeah. I I, I think VJ is reacting to a non-story that's still a non-story. Which makes his story a non-story. Yeah, I know, but I had to make fun of VJ. Anytime you get to make fun of VJ, <laughs> I get it. In, in, in the reality, things that you go after to make fun of, Lance Stroll, VJ Malia, Monisha Keltenborn. Honda. And all of Honda. <laughs> there you go. Which, by the way, Honda says that it's going to be very tight to introduce the engine upgrade in Canada. Was this the engine upgrade that was supposed to come out in Barcelona? Barcelona then they were they were really hoping they could get it to Montreal or excuse me to Monaco now what Honda chief Yasuki Hasegawa says is I don't give up and we are trying very hard to be ready but until Thursday before the race I can't decide already we have had some performance from the update but if it is very small it's not worth changing the engine for the next one we haven't started working on the settings. We're two weeks out. We haven't started working on the settings. If we are not confident enough to set up that specification, it will cause some drivability issues, so the settings are also important. We have some other elements in development. We can introduce it if we can set it up and if we can check the reliability. Everything is not ready, but we have some factors that are. Maybe we stick with the next step of the engine, even if the next step is very small, or can we try another step up in performance? It's very tight to introduce a big update for Canada. So one Spa. Spa. By so, spa, they'll have an update. So once again, we go to the Honda Engine Development Lab for a peek in on their development process. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what you do. You just take them dang old spark plugs out in that little hole. You just put a little hole around there. Just like Bobby Hunter said, just like it go boom, boom, just like that. Because the sense of urgency is just not there. I am very, very sure that they have some level of a sense of urgency. 
However, they are probably having an issue coming to consensus on the engine. One person thinks it should work better. Another person <laughs> thinks it should work best. Another person says maybe it shouldn't break at all. I. <laughs> we need to fix the thing that made the oil come falling out of the engine in Barcelona. I mean, come on. I think that bill this is might be proof that building an engine by consensus is not a viable engine building strategy. I really fear that they have misjudged the whole competitiveness of Formula One in its current guise. I do appreciate Eddie Jordan just digging down to the very point I mean, of the subject. <laughs> I mean that's that's really what it is. I mean yeah. I understand. I get it. But I predict that we'll have an engine upgrade by Spa, and it will be a bitter disappointment. Okay, I can go with that. Now, on the other side of the table, because remember, th this is a partnership. Honda has the power piece. McLaren, McLaren has, has the, the chassis development and the aero. And according to Eric Boulier, that despite the issues that the engine has had from an aerodynamic perspective they're doing everything that they want they're hitting all the targets that they need to all the marks are there he says they they have had when it comes to aerodynamic development and things working they've had about a 95 percent success rate their, their aerodynamic plan is working exactly as expected they are following the map exactly as it would be and i guess a 95 percent um, success rate when it comes to aero develop development is considered really, really good. And when you think about it, this really isn't much of a surprise. Is it not much of a surprise because their arrow was so bad that it's easy to come up with 95% success rate because, you know, it's things <laughs> like, oh, you know, Arrow will be improved if you go from a box design to a slopey design. No, what I actually think, it, it's more in lines of McLaren as a team. Not, not McLaren-Honda, but McLaren specifically as a Formula One team with their 50-plus years of experience in Formula One knows how to design a car and knows how to design a car that works. Mm-hmm. So they've got the tools and the technology and the funding to design and build a successful car. However, they're handicapped by the engine. Yes. Now, yeah, I, I, I know that th this slides very dangerously into uh, the Ron Dennis territory of the next team to win a Formula One championship will, will be McLaren. I, I know that, but... It does give some credence to McLaren's comments of if we had an engine that, that was comparable in power and had the performance and didn't blow up every two laps. And one of the things that came out, and, and it's why we've seen so many penalties this year, there are components of the Honda Turbo uh, system that only have a rated lifespan of two races. Why would you do that? I don't think that was the original design, 
was that they'd only last two races, but they found that actually in reality, it only lasts two races. So basically, every two races, you're committing yourself to penalties for your drivers. They can't overcome that. You can't outdrive every other race having a penalty. You, you can't design a car that's that good. Right. I, that is... Uh, well, according to Nikki Lauda, the next team beyond Mercedes that will win a, a championship, unlike what Rondon has told us, is going to be Ferrari, not McLaren. You know, there's a lot of the press who's saying the same thing. And I think the odds of Ferrari being the next team are reasonably Better than high. McLaren's. Yeah. They're, oh, they're much better than McLaren's. Um, but at this point, I think they're, they're better than Red Bull. I don't think Red Bull has a chance at this point. I would put it this way. I believe firmly that Sauber has a better chance of winning the next championship than McLaren. Well, if nothing else, and this is dead honest fact, Sauber has more points than McLaren this My year. My point exactly. Because McLaren is the only team that has not scored a single point yet this season. My point exactly. So, moving off of those woes and disasters it's been a real downer show jensen button oh something uplifting you know one of the big questions was what is jensen's future look like besides figuring out if if it's and so when he, will, need, he needs shades well no if and when he will ever serve that that three-place grid penalty he got in monaco um, <laughs> <laughs> i think what would be awesome since he had to serve the engine penalty that Fernando left him with, Fernando got his grid penalty. That Fernando had to pay his grid penalty. Yeah, but. Well, you know, I guess I guess that's the equivalent of, of peeing in his seat. Ah. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what Jensen really meant. He was going to get him a grid penalty. <laughs> Here you go. Here's my present. You gave me this dog of a car. I'm going to give you a three place grid penalty. Have a good weekend. <laughs> um, no. The question has been, what's next for Jensen? Because he hasn't been involved in oh any auto sport other than two tests. Well, one of the tests that he did was actually with Honda mm -hmm. in a Super GT car, which is a spiced up, well, in Japan, I believe it's a Honda NSX. In the U.S., it's an Acura NSX. Okay. Built uh, not far away from the Mid-Ohio plant in, I think, Marysville, Ohio. Okay. Um, but he did a test on in suzuka well it turns out that will be his next racing opportunity he will be driving in the super gt uh suzuka 1000 kilometer race in august interesting yeah okay so that's that's jensen's next thing but let's talk about formula one you know this year we mentioned 20 20 races on the calendar mm-hmm Next year, we've got we're, we're losing Malaysia, but Germany comes back for its occasional visit, and it's going to be Hockenheim, and we get the return of the French Grand Prix. Right. Brings us up to 21. Sean Bratches. Mr. Eyebrows. More, you know, Mr. Eyebrows and Mutton Chops. Real, I mean, I was going to say throwback, but I don't think there was ever a generation that anybody had Mutton Chops and Eyebrows like sean does i don't know what where he gets this style from 
So uh, just to be very clear, in order to be in the upper ranks of Liberty Media, media, you must have distinctive hair. How does Ross Braun have distinctive hair? Probably in contrast to handlebar mustache and eyebrows, he's very distinctive. Oh, is that it? Because his is normal? Yes. Oh, okay. He's got it's, fancy glasses. Is it? I, <laughs> he's uh, he's doing the uh, nonconformist movement within Liberty Media. Um, or the fact he's British, therefore it makes him sound better. But he wants to go over 21 races, and what he says is that they want to they want to have a focus on reestablishing the champ oh, and, and follow this. This this is important. Reestablishing the championship in core markets such as Europe, as well as increasing the reach in the United States, United States, Asia, and Latin America. Okay. So, where are they not trying to get to? Europe? No, he says that. Reestablish the championship in core markets such as Europe. And North and expand outreach in North America, and Asia, and Latin America. Middle East, outer space, <laughs> Antarctica. <laughs> What's left, man? Africa. <laughs> oh, that's true. Africa. I forgot about. I'm sorry. For for those those of our fans in Africa, I am I am sorry. There will not be a yet. Morocco Grand Prix. Is what we're trying to go to. Actually, I think if there was going to be a Grand Prix in Africa, in all seriousness, it would probably be a return to Johannesburg because mm-hmm. they've been there before to the Kala. I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> Kalarami. Kala. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. Stadium. Yeah. Got it. Which is which? Anthony Hamilton Lewis's father has a stake in. Oh, okay. The, that circuit down in Johannesburg. Anyway. So yeah, so, everywhere but Africa, he wants to go and expand the reach of Formula One. Is, wasn't that the Bernie Eccleston strategy? No, the Bernie Eccleston strategy was to extort as much money from Formula it, One as he possibly it could. It was. But by going into countries that, you know, didn't give a crap about Formula One. No, no, no. Bernie's metric for where countries he could go to were based on their ability to pay. Yeah, who was going to pay him. Sean is obviously much wiser than Bernie. And he is looking for opportunities of expanding the brand. Well, what he says, he says... Our view is that we'd like to go above 21, and we want to be a little bit more proactive and go on the offensive in terms of the markets where we go. We want to be offensive? What did he say? Well, Bernie had that market covered. <laughs> um, I've, got an economic in, I've got an economic impact study in the marketplace right now to really understand the benefits of bringing the Formula One circus to a city, a country, a municipality, a principality. So as we start identifying an optimal calendar in optimal regions, we can go sit down with cities and make our case as opposed to what has been a little bit more reactive to bids coming in. Now, he also admitted that, you know, it's a bit of a challenge to take a global series like Formula One above 21 races. It is. It it, it takes a lot. Um, 
He says that the longer schedule takes a toll both physically, emotionally, and economically, and that Liberty Media would have to work closely with our partners on the team front to find out what the high watermark is and what makes sense for everyone. Now, he says that reducing the number of back-to-back races would potentially help. We don't want to have too many back-to-backs. We're trying to align these races better by territory, the European races, the American races, the Asian races. But it gets difficult in terms of the weather and managing contractual guardrails. Now, what we know is that the Formula One group, um, represented by Ross Braun, as well as Jean Todd from the FIA, uh, the head of the WEC, Gerard Niveau, and Formula E chief Alejandro Agag met in Monaco to discuss greater collaboration on calendar planning in the future. We also know Ross Braun has met with the head of MotoGP to discuss avoiding clashes with them as well. So how you're going to go and fit this jigsaw puzzle together, I'm not sure. And then you look into outside of the autosport realm. Um, next year, there's a weekend where the Wimbledon final and the World Cup final could potentially take place on the same day as the British Grand Prix. Ooh. Yeah. Regardless of viewers around the rest of the world, that's really bad in England. Because all three of those have a big sporting draw. That is that is potentially bad. Um, I see a, so- a solution to the calendarization problem. Keep in mind, there are only 52 Sundays in a calendar year. You sure? Pretty sure. <laughs> Maybe 53 on a given year, I, but there I, are 52 weeks I, you in know, a year. You, you know, you, you got to be careful. I, I don't know if you should make that call before December. <laughs> change. You know, it's just like Valentine's Day. You don't want to plan for that too far in advance because you never know. It might pop up on a date other than February 14th. Because it has any time in the history of Valentine's Day. Or my personal favorite, that Christmas Day has been uh, December 25th for a very, very long time. <laughs> Hasn't changed. But, you know, let's not plan for it before, you know, November. Anyway, back to my point. 52 Sundays in a year. So I can solve all of Formula One's calendar problems. Wednesday races. Yeah, that solves the calendar problem. It doesn't solve a viewership problem, though. All races should be on Wednesday. Qualifying on Sunday? No, no, no. You'd compete with other races on Sunday, so you're going to have to have qualifying on Tuesdays. Yeah, I don't think that solves the viewership issue. Oh. Well, you have to relegate. So if Formula One is the premier of motorsports, so they get the Sunday race, now we have to push down the other lesser, with a giant air quotes, lesser races to a Wednesday race. Everybody could pick a day. We have yeah. MotoGP There's on six Monday. Other days of the Moto Monday. We could have. Um, yeah. there, there, there's. There's six other days on the calendar. We have Sunday. You guys can suck at losers. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> no, no, no. Work with me here. We have Moto Monday for MotoGP. We have Tennis Tuesdays for the tennis yeah. championships. Um, we could have um, what WEC Wednesdays. What, and, and what day would hockey be? 
In baseball? Well, you'd have to have... Uh, World Cup soccer happens when? Okay, well, hockey would have to be on Fridays for Fractured and, and, Fridays. And if it's going to be WEC Wednesdays, what day does WRC get? Well, they'd have to do every other week. <laughs> oh, is that? Because, I mean, we still only have six. <laughs> you know, if, if Formula One's going to get every Sunday, then we have six other days of the week to cover all the other sports. What, what, what about British touring cars? Thursday. DTM. Touring Thursdays. DTM. Huh. DTM. Well, how often? They don't race very often. So we're going to have to pair them no, up actually, with... No, I think they do race pretty often. And they're going to have to p- get paired up with another another sport. IndyCar. Yeah, well, IndyCar is going to have its own problems. And let me guess, NASCAR only gets November? <laughs> <laughs> I think basically they're going to get the period of time between um, middle of December to the middle of January. They could have that period of time. They need to run daily in that period of time. Okay. Preferably all on ice. Well, let's go back to X Formula drivers. <laughs> you do not like my calendar. We're, 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 we're moving past <laughs> your, your calendar plan because it, it, it's a bit sketchy. You know, here's the thing. I can't determine the calendar because I do not have creative facial hair. And, and for that, <laughs> I'm very happy about because, oh boy, that would be weird. Anyway, <laughs> so... Driver again, ex Formula One driver, no creative facial hair. Well, he might not have any facial hair. He's got a baby face. He, he he doesn't normally walk around with facial hair, but he might not actually be able to grow facial hair. He's I, got quite the baby face. He, he does. Former F one driver Esteban Gutierrez. Yes. Formerly of the Haas team, who was hoping to get a Formula E seat. I believe he did get one, uh, not for the full season, uh, but. You know, there, there's currently an opening over at Dale Coin Racing mm-hmm. due to Sebastian Bourdais' impressive collision with uh, Scott Dixon. Correct. Where he has been told that, no, no, you will not race. No, you will need to go sit and heal for a while. Um, amazingly enough, there is still talk in some media outlets that Sebastian might come back for Son- the last race of the year in September in Sonoma. I thought that the last I heard was he said he was going to come back for Sonoma and Dale Coyne said, um, no, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, I, I think he either he's still putting it out there or there's folks in the media that haven't picked up on the fact that Dale said uh, not just no, but hell no. Sit down and heal. Yeah. So then the question becomes, who could take the seat? Um, well, Odds are, actually, no, I'm sorry. Sebastian Bourdais did not get into the wreck with, um, I'm wrong there. He didn't, he was not involved in that wreck um, on the, in the Indy 500. His was in qualifying. He had the fiery crash in qualifying. He's the one that's injured for a long term, though. He is injured for a long term. Um, James Davison took his car for the Indy 500 race. Okay. That, that's why I'm, I was wrong. You were saying you were thinking that it was the Jay Howard Scott Dixon crash right, that, and that injured was, him so much. Yeah, and that's not no, what no, it was. no, 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 no. He was injured before the five hundred. Yeah, he was and injured in qualifying. Tabled. Yeah. For the rest of the season, 
um, Jay Howard and Scott Dixon both walked away with no injuries from the very well-publicized Indy 500 crash that put Scott Dixon's car not into a wall but into a fence. Yeah. Well, Airborne. Yeah. Well, Esteban Gutierrez made his debut this weekend at the Chevy Detroit or Chevy Duel in Detroit because it was a Saturday and Sunday race at Belle Isle. At Belle Isle, um, the the report that I've got from his practicing was that it was okay. Mm-hmm. It it wasn't particularly great, but it was okay. Um, however, it's looking like Esteban is the lead to take the seat for much of the season. He may not have it all the season. He doesn't have any oval experience. He he wants to get some oval experience and, and, and take part in that stuff. Uh, but it's looking like Esteban's going to have the seat for, for much of the season. Nice. So we'll see where that goes. Um, as we record this, by the way, the first race of the duel... That was Saturday. Um, ...has... Uh, been completed and Graham Rahal was the big winner yeah Graham got his first poll in a very 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 long time Um, uh, going into the weekend everybody thought that uh, Graham was looking extremely strong so I believe he is the favorite to basically take run the weekend Um, yeah they're currently as we are talking running race two so I don't have an answer there Already? Um, I mean, it's—I I thought that was this afternoon. They may be in qualifying for race Oh, that may be. Um, I just know that Rossi was running second the last time I checked where, and, you know, where l- they were. L- let's make a quick call out to Alexander Rossi because um, for a rookie, I think— Not th- a rookie. Well, for running as a rookie last year for his second season in IndyCar, he's been running really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of potential, given the trajectory the career is on in IndyCar right now. Uh, he could be up at the front making headlines for quite a few years to come. And, you know, as I'm sitting here in my Alexander <coughs> Rossi t-shirt, well, yeah. you know, we are very pro-Rossi and his experience in IndyCar. Um, yes, from race one um, in Detroit, Graham Ray Hall won, Scott Dixon got second, and James Hinchcliffe got third. And our friend and friend of the show, Alexander Rossi, was came in fifth. Cool. So. And that's, I think, all we've got this week. Unless you've got something new. I do not. I do not, as um, we are getting ready to watch race two uh, from Belle Isle. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.